Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we have an interesting episode because it is a Seafood Innovations episode, but it's kind of split between a couple topics. We are talking with Safe Kawaja, who is the founder and CEO of Shinke Systems. We had a fantastic conversation about Ikejime and Shinkejime, which you may have heard of, and all of the benefits that come along with it. And then uh, we have a great conversation about Shinke Systems' new technologies that are helping to try and make this more production level process where you can kind of really scale it up to create a lot higher quality fish coming from larger quantities. So before we get into it, I want to remind everybody, like I always do, to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. So every time a new episode comes out, it'll be on your device, ready to go. And if you want to keep in touch with us, you can do that either on Twitter, as long as Twitter is alive, at AquademiaPod, or on our website, which is globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And if you wouldn't mind, we would really appreciate it if you would take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. It really helps us out, and we really appreciate everybody that's done that already. So with that, enjoy this conversation we had with Safe, and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Okay, so we are sitting down with Safe Kwaja. How was that? Was that okay? That's sweet. Yeah. All right. And he is the founder CEO of Shenke Systems. And this is one of our Seafood Innovations episodes. So you know we're going to be talking about some new innovative technologies. And Shenke has something really cool that's developed to help with what we're talking about today. But before we get into everything, I want to talk about you, Safe. Who are you? Where where'd you come from? How did you end <laughs> up doing what you're doing? Right, right. So I, mean, I don't know where to start. Um, let's go all the way back <laughs> to I was uh, born. Origins. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it, you know, all those things play a part, right? So uh, I'll definitely jump in there with, you know, I was born in Toronto, in Canada. When I was very young, I moved to Saudi Arabia. I was there until I was about nine and then moved to the UAE, to, to Dubai, and grew up in Dubai until I moved to the US for college about five and a half years ago. So mostly in the Middle East, a little bit of Canada. My family and I have always really been interested in food. It was a really important part of our culture. It was, you know, a way for our, our family to bond. But, you know, I didn't jump into the fishing industry or seafood industry until really until Shinke. So at college, I studied business and physics. It was a combination of different things. I went to the work school at UPenn for my undergrad about halfway through, also started my master's in physics. And you know, a little different from seafood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of you know, a curveball from what you'd expect for the normal intro. And I had these big ambitions that I would go into solid state device engineering and work on material science for transistors yeah. like and all do. these different things. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to try academia. And so for one of my summers, I, I spent um, you know, doing research and I was kind of first exposed to the problem space, right? There was this essay, the newspaper, the morning of my interview by Peter Singer called If Fish Could Scream. And it was all about how, because fish don't have vocal cords, 
we ascribe mm. less empathy to them than we do to terrestrial mammals, like cattle or poultry. And the most pertinent example of that was in the end-of-life experience. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you walk into any mass market retailer, I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but, but if you walk into any mass market retailer, the probability very much leans to that the fish have been suffocated on the decks of boats. And right, they're, they're harvested, farms. they're thrown yeah. into a big either ice lorry or just put on ice and they just... Exactly, and flash frozen, whatever have you. Yeah. And that's the status quo, right? And I think that, you know, for for very fair reason, you know, there's so much volume of fish happening, et cetera. And the essay specifically was talking about, I can't remember if it was from the author's point of view or not, but it was basically about the narrator walking down near a river and seeing this fisherman pull up a fish, put it in a bucket and see the fish flail around. And the fish basically... <laughs> I don't misquote, don't misquote me, but I remember some conversation about looking the fish in the eyes and <laughs> and just getting jarred around around that front. So mm. the you know professor posed this question to me of if I could design a system on how might fish express pain, and it was an art project actually more than it was an engineering project, mm. but told as a story through engineering. So again everything is entangled. I'd worked on a ton of design and art projects when I was in college. I ran a branding studio for a bit, but probably my most successful endeavor was with a team of uh, a few other people. We built basically a vegan denim that was for uh, vegan in the sense that we, we made the material out of corn husks and mixed it in with a uh, uh, flaxseed fibers, dyed it with bacteria, and processed it with the stomach enzymes. So basically, a lot of the issues in the denim industry around water waste, around dyes, around processing, and the bad conditions or you know working conditions, we we're basically trying to mitigate. And that did very well. You know, we exhibited here in the MoMA in New York, in London Design Festival across the pond. And wow, I, thank you. Yeah, and I basically built up this. You know, that, that was probably the most successful one, but I built this track record of many projects uh, akin to that. And that was what I wanted to spend my time doing in grad school, you know, in combination, you know, with, uh, you know, some of the academic research I've been working on. So while I was exploring fish pain and how we might express it, right, I, I'm sure that goes down a huge existential rabbit hole. And then we could spend the entire podcast talking about that, right? That's phenomenology and do fish even feel pain? What's the difference between pain and stress? Do humans feel pain? A lot of these questions were things I was sitting in my room speculating about and you know, with no business really to. But while that, I was doing that my That would be oh, a fascinating episode, actually. Let's pocket that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get one of our advisors, so I'm sure it will come up later in the conversation to, to help you <laughs> with yeah, that. Uh, he's cool. a phenomenal person as well, I mentioned. So, but, so part of that was basically, I can't even remember how it happened. I just Googled the right way to kill a fish, right? And funnily enough, there was an exact, there was, there's a video done by Vox with the exact same title. You know, I, I'm sure almost 10 million views, maybe even more now. And the video was about Ikejime. And it was all about, you know, Ikejime as an alternative method of harvesting that for both literal and figurative reasons uh, is better for everybody, right? So 
the video, uh, as I'm sure you guys watched before the podcast, was and, sure and, and, and just to make a note, we are going yeah. to link to that video in our show notes if everybody wants to check it out. It's fantastic. Great. And so that video was done by Andrew Choi, who was, the, you know, he's been an advisor for the company since I was sitting in my dorm room thinking about the, the project all the way to, you know, now when we're talking about, you know, really serious industry ramifications legislation, you name it. You know, Andrew is an amazing person. He grew up partially as a commercial fisherman and went to school, then went to law school, became a lawyer. And, you know, now he works, works in the field, but in the spare time runs the EKGMA Federation. And the EKGMA Federation works with a lot of the governing bodies around fish handling to build more sustainable practices and I'm sure he'll do a better job of explaining what they do. So I won't go into detail for the sake of butchering it. <laughs> but <laughs> the, um, he's a phenomenal person, very well-spoken, and just so well-educated about handling fish that I wanted to get his opinion on just the space, right? And after watching the video, I put two, two and two together, and I thought, why not just solve the problem directly, right? Why not build a way to scale EKGMA for basically mass market high quality fish for many reasons I'm sure we'll get into. And the next step was literally a cold email to the email address on his website with <laughs> a quick question of, hey, Andrew, has anyone ever automated DKGMA? <laughs> and he was like, no, interesting. Let's hop on a call. And wow. he, call, he calls me from, I actually still remember, he's wearing his like rip curl, rip curl like, <laughs> like waterproof t-shirt i think he was on his boat or something like that of course the oh epitome of cool God. right yeah he's he's such a cool guy you know <laughs> and he was just like just wanted to meet me and you know me and my youth asking and me and my youth and lack of experience just uh you know started just giving him all these crazy ideas and you know fast forward it's been almost a year and a half since our probably our first call September 2020, I think, 2021, one of the two. Yeah, anyway, 2020. So since then, you know, Andrew's now probably their most involved advisor of the company. You know, we work very closely with him on everything from machine design to interacting with governing bodies to building the narrative for the company. And uh, I know this podcast about Shinke, not, uh, you know, everyone loves Andrew podcast, <laughs> but um, he, uh, he, he's a truly phenomenal guy. And he was basically the person to, you know, you know, slap, slap me on the behind and say, go do it. And, you know, I, with renewed energy, basically started Shinke. That is amazing. So now that we know a little bit more about you and how you got to founding Shinke, I think it would be really interesting to hear from you about why Ikejime. Like, I know that you discovered it from this YouTube video that you found, but why should the average seafood consumer care about Ikejime? Yeah. And I want to make mm -hmm. a note before that, that this is not our first time that we are focusing on fish handling during harvest. But yeah, we did have an episode a couple years ago with Mike Forbes who mm -hmm. was talking about the uh, in-water electric stunning system, uh, mm -hmm. which was another conversation on humane slaughter. So this is, it's, you know, it's something that people are talking about in the industry and they're interested in. And, and this is uh, a very unique and uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefits to this process. So, um, right. Yeah. Thank you, Maddie, for posing that, that question. I just want to make sure that 
we got that out there that like this is a, a common conversation that happens. Right, right. So I think there's, you know, and I'm I'm not I don't mean to, to misquote here. I think there's a lot of allure around building a brand for Ikijime, right? It's a you know it's a traditional Japanese technique and that the origins come from Japan. And so we build this kind of distance to it, right? But really it's the same as the same it's the same protocol no matter the animal that you're harvesting, right? Whether it's terrestrial on land or whether it's, you know, out on the ocean. Fundamentally, you know, the, the process of harvesting an animal effectively are very similar, right? So Ikejime and Shinkejime, which generally are, are collectively are, are bracketed into the first term Ikejime. So Ikejime is a process um, and set of principles as opposed to these finite fixed steps that a lot of people term it. Mm -hmm. And it basically involves euthanizing the animal. So removing any experience of stress as soon as you can. You know, that T0 between the fish leaving the water and T1 of its brain activity being cut off should be, you know, as close to zero as we can get it. And then exsanguinating the animal, which is basically a fancy term for bleeding it, you know, the same way that we bleed cattle. So you, uh, that can be done through a cut in the gills, a cut in the tail. It can be a little jab to the gills, or it could be cutting straight into the jugular equivalent, whatever you want to term it. And then finally, the Shinkejime process of actually destroying that spinal cord. So those first two terms are Ikejime. The last one, Shinkejime, which I'm sure you can imagine is our namesake, is a very complex process where you can take a metal pith, a low-pressure water or air jet, into the spinal cord and break the spinal cord, right? Basically, these three steps each individually have huge implications for the quality and shelf life of the fish. And in turn, both the economics of the fishermen, the distributors, and well, to be honest, even the consumer. Mm -hmm. So before I get into the individual benefits of each step, I think it's worthwhile talking about the origins, right? So part of my background comes from, uh, you know, or Part of my exposure to the space comes from the fact that my father did a lot of business in Japan and through that had a lot of spillover effect. And he had a lot of reverence for um, Japanese culture because of their respect, their attunement to craftsmanship and the general quality of products that would come out commercially or culturally, right? You know, cultural products just as much as commercial. So. Right. Mm -hmm. I grew up eating uh, a lot of fish. You know, I grew up in Dubai and Shadda and things like that. And there wasn't as sophisticated a fish eating culture there as there was in Japan. But, you know, if I ever went to visit Japan or if we went to the UK where my sister was, the family would have sushi at what's called an omakase. And the literal translation of omakase is, I'll leave it up to you or something akin to that. Uh, it's, again, it's, you can't be 100% literal with the languages, but... Right. Uh, really, it's a chef's choice dinner, right? And it comes from a certain region, Japan, where, uh, which happened to be by the coast, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. And, and it literally was a chef, chef's tasting, right? Today, omakase is basically a catch-all term for a really high-end uh, chef's tasting for sushi and spillover products akin to that, right? But I grew up eating basically a lot of really high-quality fish. And the reality is that 
you know, once you start eating a lot of high quality anything, right, whether you start drinking really high quality wine, yeah. you start drinking really, uh, or you start eating really high quality beef, you start to spoiled. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're, you're just spoiled for choice. You know, you become like a, I, I'm, I literally use the term that I'm a brat for fish now <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, like the, um, you know, I've spent time, you know, sitting with all these chefs and obviously eating EKG made fish and the, the quality is just absolutely phenomenal. Right. But this is a very long winded way of saying that omakases today are very expensive, high end sushi chef tastings, depending on where you go. Uh, but here in New York, for example, if you went to somewhere like Massa uh, on Columbus Circle, you know, it's a very, very well-renowned restaurant. You know, you're paying $1,000 a person before before tax tip or any other fees, right? So mm-hmm. there's very Again, few people. Like you do. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's, very, there's very few people who have access to those type of meals. And I, I'm not saying that that's like the most common price point, but just to give you a sense of the kind of, uh, just to give you a what sense of the allure right? And what it could be exactly. And so Ikejime is, Ikejime gained popularity in the West, not solely because of omakase, but was part of building more robust supply chains for a lot of the, uh, the chefs here. You know, a lot of them will fly their Ikejime fish over before they even get it, right? And there must be a reason for that, right? Why is the quality actually that much better? Why would someone who would buy fluke from a farm in Korea or off the coast of Maine, or I mean better, off the coast of Long Island, why would someone who would normally pay $3.50 X vessel or at a farm in Korea pay at the omakase $14.50 a pound, including landed costs, freight costs, import duties, you name it. It's partly to do with Ikejime. So getting to what Ikejime actually does to the fish, right? And we'll go through those different steps. So EKG may starts off with the euthanization process, right? Where you can take that with a metal spike right to the brain of the head. Um, It can go in through the front, into the side, whatever have you. And basically that cuts off a lot of the experience of stress from the animal. In turn, stress hormones that that would decay into chemicals that would degrade shelf life are in turn stopped and the concentration of the bloodstream in turn reduced. The exsanguination process obviously removes all the blood, you know, by exposing the gills and the tail. With the heart still being active, the blood is just passively pumped out. People also use active pr- uh, pressure bleeding and salmon harvesting and other fish to speed that process up. The blood is interesting because it has numerous effects on the carcass quality. So the obvious one is the blood is just left to diffuse in the meat, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. flash frozen or left fresh. The diffusion into the meat, in turn, quite literally, if you look at the Vox video, um, you'll see it two weeks later, it will show up in a completely different color, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that more, was so interesting to see in the video. Yeah, it's, it's it, like so obvious yeah, how the much, difference. How much difference having the blood within the fish still makes. Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the more important processes here, right? And there's other effects as well. For example, the bacteria that would naturally be inside the carcass of the animal would all of a sudden have this stagnant cesspool of nutrition for them to eat, right? And so it's a, it's a gluttonous feast for these bacteria <laughs> in that, you know, they have all the nutrition and inside the bloodstream that is just not being used and sitting there. And so it actually speeds up a lot of the bacterial growth as well, right? And, and so actually when that, when that happens, what they'll do is because the heart is still active after the, the brain's been destroyed, 
the fish is then put into a half-half ice slurry, where it's half ice, half water, the concentration of which you can ask, it will depend on a practitioner. But what happens is the heart will just pump the blood out into the water, the blood will diffuse. And so when the fish comes out 20 minutes later, you have this beautiful carcass with no, no blood left inside, so it's just meat, right? And I'm sure later in the, in the, the conversation, we'll talk about dry aging and a lot of other interesting things you can do once, once that happens. The final step is the spinal cord destruction. So any animal, and whether that's a human, terrestrial animal, whether it's a fish, after death, the body's still working and, and creating Auto, these- Autopilot, right? Basically, yeah. It's these residual electrochemical s- signals that are happening that in turn trigger enzyme action to decay the fish, right? And you can call it what you want. One of those processes is called rigor mortis. And basically, that's the seizures that are created inside the fish. And so by destroying the spinal cord, you cut off the central nervous system's access to a lot of the muscle tissue, a lot of the long nerve signaling. You know, there's still some reflex actions here and there, but mostly it's, it's completely limp after. And so the entire process leaves the carcass in such a way that instead of rotting, it'll actually start to dry age. And the, you know, you'll call it what you want. Some people will call it resting. Some people call it aging. And the delineation is really how long you leave it for. Basically, you now have this very clean fish that has no blood left inside, no seizures ha- happening. And so basically, it's almost mummified. So from there, the benefits are just insane, right? So a fish that would normally be suffocated, flailing around, leaving cuts in its meat, in its meat asphyxiating, you know, in general, that'll heat peak rigor uh, in about a day. If you EKG made the fish and just do the head spike and the gill cut, tail cut, so the euthanization and the bleeding, you know, a, a good fluke as an example, you know, you can you'd hit peak freshness and peak flavor at about three days. When you EKG made it, you hit peak flavor over seven days later fresh. And wow. That's just if you're eating a raw. Whether you're storing it fresh or frozen, the benefits are really there. For example, uh, one of our clients that we're working with, a a restaurant, we're using our black sea bass. And normally from their purveyor, they'd have to use our fish within two to three days because it would start to go bad. With our fish, 10 days later, the fish was still better than the quality they were getting anyways. And it's literally because it's almost like you're creating a different product right at the end of it. So fundamentally, you want to give chefs as long as possible with this beautiful fish so they can work their culinary magic to really draw out the flavor, whether that's a natural flavor or if they want to age and cure the meat to create their own mixtures. It's all along that. The shelf life stability significantly improves the stock utilization, right? More time with your fish at peak quality means higher yields, better margins, reduce shrink. In, in that video, it was fascinating. They were saying, and this is so interesting to me, and specifically talking about the Shinke Jime portion of this process, because the spinal cord is still intact. Those nerves are still firing. You're going to get it like mm-hmm. still jumping around and twitching and stuff. And like that, exactly. they, they explained that in a really interesting way, saying basically that fish is still exercising. Right. Yeah. And yep. and the that is going to lead to like breaking down of the muscular tissue cells and, and it's going to degrade the quality of the muscle really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So if you can stop that, that's kind of like what makes a difference. I thought that was fascinating. That was a really interesting way. I to had look never at it. thought of that before, ever. No, no, me either. It was yeah. so cool to learn about that. <laughs> Out of curiosity, how much do you guys fish at all? Very minimally, like in the summertime, like maybe we'll go to ponds and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, so same, I encourage I you. 
I don't right. do uh, much, as much fishing, nearly as much as I used to do, but I also have three children under the age of six, so that's probably <laughs> that's a big yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So once in a while, I go fishing with my dad, and when we would go, the this again, this is just because of lack of education, but we'd pull the fish out and just put it straight on ice. But you would come back to that fish three hours later, and it would still be breathing, and it would still be jumping around. And yeah, it's yeah. crazy that, you know, because of just cognitive dissonance, I just never put two and two together that it was feeling stress, if anything, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it's a lot of these species, as long as their gills are wet, they're still right. going to be able to breathe for quite some time. Exactly. And, uh, so that's why you can see a lot of aquatic animals, like on the beach, like in tide pools and stuff, they can be out of mm-hmm. the water for a long time, as long as they keep their gills wet, right? Right. So right. That's, that's interesting. And I think anyone who has ever kept fish in an aquarium or ever raised fish on a farm, you understand stress is a big deal with fish. And everything mm-hmm. that you do, you try to reduce stress as much as possible to keep that fish healthy and happy because the more stress there is, you see the direct result of a lower quality final product. So I think right, that, you right. know, this is, it's, it should be very easy for our listeners to understand the benefits of this, I would, I would think. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and- but I want to talk about the drawback, uh, one of the drawbacks, because that's going to lead us into your new technology because one of the biggest drawbacks is manpower and kind of it's so specialized yeah like right, you right. Know, it's it's so specialized that like you you need it, it it just not too feasible to think about the amount of fish that are coming on a fishing vessel mm-hmm. uh, or the amount of fish that are being harvested on a farm being right. able to harvest these fish that way with an efficient process right exactly Do you want to yeah, talk about it, that at all is that kind of the main issue with it that's definitely the issue i think that let's talk about in a perfect world, if I could wave a magic wand, though, what would really be the benefit to industry, right? So not to toot my own, <laughs> I, I promise I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. But That's why you're on um, here. That's what the <laughs> podcast is for. Why you're right, here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so for industry, one of, the, one of the interesting problems, for example, that I didn't know just from not being in the industry is drip loss. So naturally, fish retain water, right? And over the portion supply chain from production, processing, distribution to retail and food service, the fish will naturally start to lose some of that water and it'll just drip away from the, from the fish. The issue is that in the industry, we charge per pound. So in theory, not only are you, you know, having to process the fish and in turn change the product, but you're also losing product by taking out some of that, right? Mm-hmm. And in turn, the industry will treat fish with salt to improve the uh, water weight and water retention and reduce drip loss, right? But with EKG May, you can literally get up to 40 or 50% improvement in, uh, in drip loss because the water is still retained because the carcass is, the texture of the muscle tissue itself is different and it, it loses less water, right? And so in turn, a lot of the losses that are eaten, eaten could be uh, cut from there. There's obviously the revenue lift from improvement in quality, but and if you'd like to, I'm happy to go into, you know, what happens as we start to flood EKGMA fish in the market. <laughs> and the final point is the shelf life stability. And we talked a little bit about this, but just to really make it clear. So with EKGMA fish, you have longer time with the fish at its peak quality. Right. In turn, whereas, you know, you'd have to give it away for pet food if it went bad, you now have weeks instead of days. So for the distributors, they have more time to allocate stock, more time for market clearing, they're reducing their shrink, they're reducing a lot of basically the loss and waste that happens in industry, right? And, you know, the numbers vary a lot on 
how much is actually lost in between the supply chain. But at the very least, I'll claim on here that it'll be double digit percentages from production to retail, right? And part of our value proposition is reducing waste, improving shelf life, and in turn, having sustainability component to reducing waste. And so, that's good for everyone, all of those things. Right, like exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So Shinke is automating Ikejime to mass produce omakase quality, high quality, whatever you want to call it, mass produce high quality fish. And to that end, we are basically building robotics on both boats and on farms to implement Ikejime hands-free with no humans involved. The cost structure of fishing is really interesting because it varies so wildly depending on gear type. It varies so uh, wildly depending on the species being caught, right? But you know, your average person will be spending at least 30 to 40% of their operating cost in wages, insurance, food, and the like. So mm-hmm. bringing on an additional person to do EKGMA is just additional overhead. It's additional accountability. Fishing, depending on your gear type, can be very, very dangerous. And so it's not the easiest ask, right? Then in right. turn, there has to be a pretty high margin for someone to be able to do that. If a fisherman wants to do it themselves, they'll have to adjust how many fish they're, they're catching to be able to handle the, the volume of fish, right? Right. So we're making it easy for people to implement EKGMA at scale and reap the benefits without taking on any of the additional load. So Shinke today, we're still very early on. You know, we, we raised a few million. We went through Y Combinator and... We're still a small team, but uh, we have prototype machines working that have basically demonstrated that we are equivalent to doing it by hand. We've partnered with the University of New Hampshire to actually run those studies. We partnered with Michelin raised chefs to both taste our fish and actually serve some of our fish in restaurants as well. And we're still in the early phase of that, so I can't name names. But <laughs> to give you a sense of the, the size, uh, we're serving restaurants with almost 20 mission stars between them. We partner wow. clients and distributors who are super excited about our work. I still remember my first email when I, when I gave the first positive email response I got from someone sending us feedback on our fish where the chef quite literally said, and I promise I'm not making this up. I know it's going <laughs> to sound crazy, but uh, he was like, I literally dreamt of fish of this quality. And then he walked straight into my door and wow. we're, you know, the sauce obviously hasn't come with pain, but the team comes mostly from a technology background. We have a lot of advisors who supplement our industry knowledge. And now I've lived in the industry for a few years and slowly starting to pick there. But we've come a long way in a short time and are planning to continue to expand across uh, you know, the Northeast. And like we today are already looking for pilot partners in industrial farms and a few larger fleets as early adopters to help refine our technology. So small bump there <laughs> but if anyone's interested <laughs> little plug. yeah a little plug you know uh my email safe at shinke.systems uh ping me anytime <laughs> yeah we'll make sure we put that in the show notes too so i i know that there's some stuff that you don't that you you can't really reveal yet about right. this technology what can you tell us about the technology how it works but what it looks like what it you know what is what what can uh what can we learn about the actual technology itself yeah yeah, yeah sure so uh, the obvious answer is it goes to the point of harvest. We had a phenomenal feature from TechCrunch, which I'll send to you. Feel free to include in the short in the, in the show notes. We have this phenomenal feature from TechCrunch that has a great picture of our machine sitting on a boat, and that's one of the earlier prototypes. That one's about five by five foot footprint. The way it works is basically 
it's a robot, right? That looks like a person and it just stands there on the deck doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we give him a little beard and a little hat to kind of yeah, make him look yeah, as part, yeah. of the, <laughs> part of the vibe. Try to make, it, try to make him blend in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, plaid shirt, you know. <laughs> so it, it basically looks like an industrial 3D printer. You know, so we scan, we scan each fish, we pick out what's the species, and in turn, where are each of the cutting points? And simply, we cut them. It's as simple as that. So ideally, it's hand-free where you dunk the fish into the machine, fish is automatically fixtured, the process happens itself, and the fish fall out with no humans involved. And so it's literally a small investment to turn your fish into high-quality, high-end sushi fish. And they would just keep, like, if this was on a, like, a small fishing vessel, mm-hmm. they would just keep, like, the ice slurry at the end of that machine, and it would just... Exactly. So we have a little playbook that we give to all our, our client fishermen and farmers. And the playbook simply says, you can take a small Yeti cooler or whatever you'd like, fill it in with ice, water, your blood, sweat and tears, <laughs> and uh, just put it at the end of the machine and the fish, when they plop out, will fall right into the tank. So it becomes very easy to use and you obviously only need to replace it a certain amount of time. And then after that, you can either flash freeze it or keep it fresh, whatever you'd like. The benefits of shelf life that we mentioned do still come with freezing fish, but you only see them after the fish has been thawed, where right. you know a fish would go bad within, say, eight hours of sitting in open air, now maybe 24. Of course, with refreshing it or with refreezing it, the benefits just compound as well. Right. And you're currently working on the industrial, basically the industrial model of this, but you, have mm-hmm. a, you do have a smaller product that's available right now, right? Yeah, so it's an artisanal one. Uh, feel free to get in touch with me if you'd like to use it. It's not for long-term leasing, but we, we have done many, many pilots. We've done salmon, trout, barramundi, all the commonly farmed fish, and the wild fish around the northeast, so you common ground fish, as well as more traditional like black sea bass, bluefish, or but, it, it. but this is, is this something that's available for people to purchase yet or no? So uh, really, we're taking it a case-by-case basis. The pilot partners that we're working with today are people that we've been either introduced to, we were introduced to, or we, or we reached out to. And um, we're at capacity right now. We do have a wait list. So if you'd like to uh, reach out to me, I'm happy to put you on there and keep you in consideration for the industrial system as well. That okay. would be great. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Maddie, you got anything? Well, the only real question that I have remaining would be like, what is your grand vision for Shinkai? Like, what, mm-hmm. where do you see this going? I'm sure since you're such a strategic and like big picture person that you have a plan for <laughs> what you want it to look like. So I'm just curious if you can share that with us, like five year, yeah. 10 year plan or something. Yeah, for sure. So I think there are a lot of different forces in play with seafood right now in the fishing and farming industries, in the seafood industry in general, right? Whether it's fishing, it's farming, or it's seafood alternatives like plant-based or lab-grown meat alternatives, right? So depending on the type of question you ask me, (laughs) I'll give you a different answer to the vision, right? The most pertinent, the most overarching one, and where I started was really democratizing access to omakase quality fish. And that really just stemmed from my own personal need that I did not want to spend a few hundred dollars on fish that and I'd, I'd like to have the joy of have it. I like to have the joy of omakase every day, right? Mm, yes. But as I started getting to the industry, I'm starting to see a lot more horses in play, right? I'm sure you know this, right? But depending on who you ask, the estimates will vary wildly. But a large portion of American seafood is exported internationally, processed, and imported back here. And there's a lot of reshoring arguments that we talked about as well, 
around building more robust infrastructure, having longer lasting fish obviously builds more robust supply chains. And there's a lot of work around that, both with those key players, the current players in the industry, and obviously the handling bodies. So NOAA, USDA, FDA, on what that really looks like, right? All of a sudden, if you have this way to you know, mass produce high quality fish, a lot of the protocols that are, that are built in today wreck the quality. Uh, and how do we work around that, right? So there, that's what angle in the same vein of American exceptionalism and dynamism. The products that we create today vary wildly from low to high quality, right? And for us to be able as, as a country to turn this commodity product into something we can differentiate with value that we can drive a lot of domestic suppliers for where two generations ago, they were the dominant players in markets and have slowly been pulled away from that. All of those are really compelling arguments for current practices and uh, for current players in general. So how that will evolve, I don't know, but those are arguments that we think about every day, right? There's also arguments around fishing and farming versus lab-grown meat. And, you know, I think people have the tendency to go to different extremes. I know Larson Mettler is on the podcast as well, and I think he talked a lot about this. But my thesis is really that the market will just segment itself into the three, right? I think depending on your preferences, certain markets will or won't accept certain types of meat, whether it's dietary restrictions or personal preference, right? I think many people will win fundamentally. Right. Yeah. So best the best option for from so many different aspects, even for the fish. Totally. Exactly. Right. 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 So we have a a few long term technologies in the works, and unfortunately, I can't share too much on that. However, what I can say is, if you if we come on the podcast again in five years, it'll be for a very very different sucker. Uh So (laughs) setting um, setting us up. I like it. Yeah, that sounds (laughs) good. Waiting for episode two. (laughs) <laughs> perfect well i i we uh, i don't want to run out of time too quickly here so um safe is there anything else while you have the platform and before we duck out uh that you wouldn't want to get out there while you're on with us um no i think that we covered everything like i mentioned we're very early but we're looking for pod partners so not to bump myself a second time <laughs> but if uh, uh if anyone's ever interested uh, on any of the uh if anyone's interested in our technology, in trying our fish, or just getting in touch and learning more, you can reach me at safe@chinky.systems. Perfect. Yeah, and we'll put his contact. We'll put your contact info in the uh, <laughs> in the show notes so people can get that, as well as the video that we mentioned before, and a link to the Shinkei Systems website. Safe. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about no. this super cool topic. And uh, we'll stay in touch because I do think it would be really fascinating to do an episode specifically on fish harvesting fish euthanization and kind of the whole idea around what fish feel and the experiences that they that they have in that process so again this was a great conversation we really appreciate you coming on and talking with us we'll talk to you soon yeah sean maddie thank you very much this was lovely i appreciate the time yeah Yeah. thanks so much safe Folks, that was our conversation with Safe Kawaja from Shinke Systems. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I find this topic absolutely fascinating. This it is was such a cool episode. I learned a lot today. So cool. And uh, I highly recommend that you check out that video in, in the show notes if you haven't yet, because it is just, it's they do a really good job of explaining this whole process in a way 
that is really understandable and you can really see the difference in the quality of the fish. It's really, really cool. So make sure you check that out and make sure you contact Safe if you're interested in being involved with what he's doing and, and um, being a partner with him. Uh, I think it's it's a really cool opportunity to be right on the brink of something that is going to be pretty innovative in the future. So make sure you contact him if, if, uh, if you're into that. Remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. That way, every time a new episode comes out, it will automatically be downloaded onto your device, ready to go. And if you have topic suggestions, guest ideas, anything like that, you can get in touch with us on our website, globalseafood.org slash podcast. If you have a minute or two, we would really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. That really helps us out, and we appreciate everybody that's already done that. And if you want to go the extra mile and show your support for the work that we do at the Global Seafood Alliance, you can do that by becoming a member at globalseafood.org slash membership. That's right. With that, I want to thank everybody for listening today, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.